turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. The following program is sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. You must never view your week as a cabinet of seven drawers and God fits into the top drawer and really has nothing to do with the rest of the week. Worship is the offering of your whole self to God. In fact, He purchased your whole self in the redemption of Jesus Christ. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. how many great accomplishments we achieve in life or how many beautiful places we travel to, there will always be something in our hearts that's left unsatisfied. St. Augustine put it this way, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Thee. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy talks about enjoying and worshiping our Heavenly Father. Are you finding your satisfaction through giving Him glory? Teaching from Ecclesiastes 5 today, here is Philip DeCourcy. Dr. Lewis Sperry Schaefer, at one time the president of Dallas Theological Seminary, referring to a friend who was devoting most of his time and energy in the pursuit of what Dr. Sperry Schaefer deemed an insignificant matter, said, He reminds me of a bulldog chasing a train. What's it going to do when it catches up? Misplaced priorities and misdirected energies are some of the things we have to deal with in life. Those are the things that bedevil us. Such was the case with King Solomon. He tells us in this book that we're studying together that for a time in his life, he pursued a greater good outside of God. He sought to find what there was to find under the sun apart from God. And he said, here's what you find. Nothing but a chasing of the wind, sexual pleasure, material wealth, political prowess, intellectual recognition, they all feel in the end to deliver on the promise of life. And so in this book, we find Solomon exhausted and exasperated, having realized that his chase was futile and fruitless. God had so fixed it that man could never be satisfied with anything less than God himself. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Man was made by God and for God, and therefore life must be lived in God and with God. That's where this book is headed. Chapter 12, verse 13. This is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for in this man finds his whole duty. And we might add his delight. 
It is the chief end of man to glorify God, and in doing so, he will enjoy God and the life forever. And that's what makes the subject of worship and the experience of the worshiper such a vital and important subject. Let me connect the dots this way. Failure to worship is a failure to seek God, and a failure to seek God is ultimately a missing of life itself. That's the thesis of the book of Ecclesiastes. And therefore, we want to return to this passage where Solomon reminds us that the worship of God must become the defining center of our lives. Failure to worship God is an act of rebellion. Failure to worship God is ingratitude. And failure to worship God ends up being a failure to seek your own highest good. Because we were made for God, by God, therefore life must be lived with God and in God. So in Ecclesiastes 5, Solomon here seeks to reform the worship of the children of Israel. Solomon visits the temple that he himself has built. He's disturbed by the shallow and hollow nature of the people's approach to God. God is being robbed of his glory, and they're being robbed of their own good. And so it's time for a worship makeover. And so Solomon gives instruction here. We've been looking at this passage under a number of headings. We tried to sweep through this section and look at the, what we might call the, the vices of improper worship. Those things that uh, Solomon encourages us to cease and desist from. Their worship lacked preparation. Their worship lacked pause. Their worship lacked perspective. There's one thing I want to add to that list that we didn't get to the last time. Their worship lacked performance. This takes us to verses 4 through 7. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Solomon turns the lens, focuses a little closer on the worship of the people of Israel, and he notes that their worship is lacking in obedience in performance. They said one thing, they did another thing. The floor of the temple was littered with broken promises, discarded commitments. So the point presently for us is this. Their worship seemed to have been an isolated moment in the week, not an integral part of their life. They came into God's house and they went to the messenger of God and they made their pledges and they made their promises. But they went out and failed to fulfill that. They were one thing on a Saturday, another thing on a Sunday. And Solomon curses that. Solomon criticizes that. Solomon censors that. They acted differently inside and outside the temple. And he says, that must stop. There was a kind of jackal and hide thing going on. They were coming in and out of a character. They seem to be one thing with their hands raised high or kneeling before the altar or paying their vows before the priest. But you know what? 24 hours later, they were something completely different. And that's totally unacceptable. Worship is a total package deal. And I don't want to make too much of this. In fact, we're going to return to these verses in a few moments as we take a second sweep through these verses. But here's what I want you just to get. We must ever remember that worship fits us for life, and all of life is worship. You must never view your week as a cabinet of seven drawers, and God fits into the top drawer, and really has nothing to do with the rest 
of the week. It's not enough just to come on a Sunday and tip your hat in God's direction. Worship is the offering of your whole self to God. In fact, he purchased your whole self in the redemption of Jesus Christ. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. It's not like you're doing God any favor when you give him yourself. He owns you. But it is a delight for him to see you recognize that and willingly, lovingly, enthusiastically give your whole self to his worship, not just in the gatherings of the church, but in everything you do and everything you seek to be for his glory. Worship is the offering of our whole selves to God and the finding of our true selves in God. And that's a a seven-day-a-week thing. Worship is not something we do when we go to church. It's something we do from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. Psalm 113, verse 3. We'll get to this in a moment, but let me just put you in this direction. See, these people went up to the temple. It was a structure. It was an edifice. It was a glorious building that Solomon had overseen the construction of. And they were to go up during times of prescribed festivals and feasts. But there is no temple now. And the church isn't called to worship in a temple. In fact, the church is called a temple. We'll get to this in a moment. But the death of Jesus Christ has changed things. And our whole life is a temple experience. And in New Testament terms, through the blood of Jesus Christ and his priesthood and his sacrifice, you and I never leave the precincts of the temple. Wherever we stand is sanctified, separated, holy ground. And so we eat to his glory. We drink to his glory. Whatever we do, we do to his glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. We mustn't sectionalize our life. We can't compartmentalize our faith, okay? It's not like you pull your faith out one day a week and then you put it away and then the next week you dust it down and you polish it and you you go to church again. I hope that's not you. That's unbiblical. That's much less than what God intends in your life. For me to live is Christ. That's it. Seven days a week from the playground to the battleground. It's all holy ground if it's dedicated to Jesus Christ. I may have told you the story of the man who would often go into a public house in Belfast on a Friday night and he would order three Guinnesses. And the bartender talked to him one particular night and said, you know what, you may want to order these one at a time because you know what, your beer goes flat. He says, oh, I've got to tell you why I do this. He says, I've got two brothers. One emigrated to Canada. One emigrated to Australia. And, you know, we promised each other every Friday night we would drink and toast in each other's honor. Bartender got the message, left him alone. But after a few months, the man came in one night and ordered two drinks instead of three. And the barner, you know, concluded the worst that one of his brothers had passed away. He didn't know whether to say something, but after a while, he decided to tread where angels fear to go. And he said, you know what? I'm sorry. I assume that you've lost one of your brothers, and I just want to pass on my condolences. To which the man replied, oh, no, it's not that. It's I've stopped drinking. (laughs) Now, you laugh at that because, you know, that's just illogical, isn't it? 
You know, he stopped drinking, but he's still drinking. There's a contradiction in that. Can you hear sectionalize, compartmentalize that whole thought? And while it's funny in one sense, it's not funny that you and I do that with our fear. When we say we've stopped sinning, we've got to stop sinning. When we say we love God, we've got to love God. It's got to be in every fiber and sinew of our being. The worship of God should dye every aspect of our life, color every part of our existence. Their worship lacked performance. It lacked perspective. It lacked pause. It lacked preparation. That's the vices. Those are the things that were happening that Solomon said have got to stop happening. But let's come through this passage now and take a second sweep. And we'll ignore the negative this time and we'll look for the positive. We'll turn these things on their head. And I want to come up with three virtues. We've looked at four vices. Let's look at three virtues. There were four vices of improper worship. Now there are three virtues of proper worship. Solomon calls out their bad behavior so that they might make a man, so that they might reform. It's not that they had failed to worship. Okay, they were there on a Saturday. They were there on the temple precincts worshiping God. It's not that they had failed to worship God, but they had failed in their worship of God. Remember what we said, worshiping the wrong God is bad. Worshiping the right God the wrong way is just as bad. I think that's important for you and I to remember. It's worth remembering that God gave the commandment against other gods, not to pagans, but to Israel, the very people of God, which warns us about the fact that being saved never guarantees that your worship is true towards the true God. You and I have got to be cautious, prudent. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God. And so Solomon wants a change here. They had lacked caution, reverence, moderation, and sincerity. They needed to pay greater attention to their worship because God was paying greater attention to their worship. Sadly, their worship had brought displeasure to God rather than pleasure. It's a very sad day when worship becomes an evil thing among the people of God. But it had there, hadn't it? Look at the end of verse 1. Draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. You can do evil in a worship service. You can dishonor the Lord in seeking to honor Him. It's a bad thing when worship leaves God in a state of anger towards those who profess their love for Him in worship. Look at verse 6. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? Worship can be bad for you. Because if we don't approach God rightly and righteously, we anger Him. And He chases us out the door of the worship service, and He follows us home. And often, He disciplines us, and He withdraws His blessing. It's a sad day when worship becomes an evil. It's a bad thing when worship leaves God in a state of anger. These people were achieving the opposite effect of worship's intended goal. There was no profit on their end. There was no pleasure on God's end. They were scoring a known goal. So let's look at three virtues as quickly as we can. True worship requires heart, humility, and honesty. Let me show you this in the text. Heart, humility, honesty. Heart, verse 1. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they do evil. 
True worship ought to be a matter of heart, not habit. Something you want to do, not something you have to do. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of God. Psalm 122 verse 1. Something that's meaningful, full of meaning to both God and the worshiper. That's what we're after, but that's not what was going on here. As we noted, their worship was marred by empty platitudes, empty promises, empty prayers. Their offering in religious fervor to God was the worship of a fool who thought that a multiplicity of words would compensate for a lack of action, who thought that a thin religious veneer could gloss over the glaring inconsistencies of their weekly behavior. That's what Solomon calls the sacrifice of fools. You're not going to get away with that. You've got to worship God with clean hands and a pure heart. What do we read in Psalm 51 verse 17? The sacrifices of God are a broken heart and a contrite spirit. That wasn't happening here. There was a callousness. There was a casualness. There was a carelessness about their worship. There was a triviality to what they were doing. There was a formality to what they were doing. It lacked heart. It lacked sincerity. It lacked enthusiasm. And you and I want to be challenged by that. True worship requires heart. Interestingly, Old Testament worship was marked by sacrifice, which is Solomon's chosen word here to describe their worship. Tithes, offerings, and sacrifices were part and parcel of the spiritual experience under the Old Covenant in Israel. Which reminds us, by the way, of something very important. The purpose of worship is not primarily to receive a blessing, but to make an offering. God's waiting on your offering, your sacrifice. Don't make it a foolish one. Make it a real one. Make it one that glorifies God. This is how we're to worship God. Psalm 96 and verse 8. Give to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering. Come into His courts. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. You can offer Him your best thoughts. You can offer Him thanksgiving as you reflect on His goodness and His mercy that this week has continued to follow you all the days of your life. You can offer to Him yourself. Are you involved in some ministry? Are you involved in the choir, the worship team? Could you be an usher? Have you got some practical skills during the week to keep this property as beautiful as it is every single weekend? Well, what are you offering to God? Or is it gimme, gimme, gimme? Remember, sacrifice is the word that marks worship. Now, what does that look like for us? Because for them, in many ways, it was very physical. And that was one of the dangers. They kind of got lost on the outside of things and they forgot to deal with the the most important things, the heart and the motive. It's really worship was very material and physical. Not for us. We don't go to a physical temple at one location. We don't offer blood sacrifices. We don't bring in the first fruits of our harvest. Why? Because things have changed. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was a game changer. Let me, you see, in Jesus Christ, we have God tabernacling among us. In John 1 verse 14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. A Greek word which means tabernacle. What you have in Christ is the very temple and tabernacle of God. God himself in human form present among us. 
That's a glorious thing. And Jesus Christ came to be the great high priest over the people of God. Read the book of Hebrews. And he came as a great high priest to offer a sacrifice to God himself. He was both priest and sacrifice. And on the cross, he offered up himself. Hebrews 9 tells us he came at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And in his death, the temple curtain was ripped from top to bottom. And there was signifying a new access to God. Hebrews 10, he opened up a new and living way. There is no physical temple. There is no Levitical priesthood. There isn't the smell of the slaughter of animals and a river of blood that was marked the worship of God in Jerusalem. Jesus Christ has become our great high priest. Jesus Christ offered that one final forever sacrifice. And now the people of God have been made his temple. And the people of God have indeed been taken up into his priesthood. That's what you and I need to be mindful of. There is equal access through the sacrifice of Christ for each of us. And there is one priesthood. And as priests before God, we offer up what Peter calls spiritual sacrifices. We don't follow the Levitical code. Christ has brought an end to that. He once had a temple for his people. Now God has a people for his temple. And as priests within that temple, through the one priesthood of Jesus Christ, we have access to God and we come according to the New Testament to offer him up spiritual sacrifices, which include ourselves. Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 2. People we have won to Jesus Christ. Paul talks about the offering of the sacrifice of the Gentiles before God, those he has won to faith in Christ. In Romans 15, 16, we can offer God our material wealth. Epaphroditus brings a gift to Paul in Rome from the church at Philippi. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, Paul says it's a sweet-smelling sacrifice to God. And then, according to Hebrews 13, 15 through 16, our praise and our good works are other expressions of spiritual gifts. That's what we're here to do, offer to God spiritual sacrifices, to give Him our body, our lives, to dedicate ourselves, to become a vehicle for His glory among the nations, to win people to Jesus Christ, to use our material wealth, not to feather our own nest, but to build His kingdom, to praise Him and do good works that they might see our good works and glorify our Father. And that's our worship. When we focus on bringing God glory, we find deep satisfaction for ourselves. You're listening to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy in a message titled, Watch Your Step. And as we begin to wrap up our series on worship, we want to remind you that you can listen to previous messages at ktt.org. Every broadcast is archived and free to listen to online. Or purchase messages on CD when you call 888-644-8811. You can also add the free KTT app to your mobile device for listening on the go. Well, there's still a lot we need to hear on the topic of worship. We'll continue our study in Ecclesiastes tomorrow. But in the meantime, we want to take some time to reflect on the Easter season. It's this time of year that we have more opportunity to share our faith with others. You can prepare to do that when you request this month's resource called The Resurrection and You. This booklet lays out the most compelling evidence for Jesus' resurrection. You know, you can rely on its scholarship since it's written by apologists Josh and Sean McDowell. Get your copy of The Resurrection in You when you give a generous gift of $20 or more. 
Donate online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. You can also send your gift by mail. Just write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. Thank you for your generosity that fuels the ministry of Know the Truth. Your gifts make all the difference as together we share the truth that sets men and women free. Now, if you're new to Know the Truth, Philip would like to welcome you with a copy of his upcoming Good Friday message. Ask for the free CD message called Access Granted when you call 888-644-8811. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd, signing off for today, but come back tomorrow for the conclusion of Philip's message, Watch Your Step. That's Thursday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. Amberin trials tested mild to moderate symptoms. Testimonial is based on 90 days of use. Results may vary. Nielsen U.S. XAOC 52 weeks dollar sales. Hot flashes, night sweats, low energy. I had all those menopause symptoms. Hi, I'm Mary Lou Retton. As an athlete and winner of gold back in 1984, I've always cared about what I put in my body. That's why for menopause relief, I choose Amberin. Amberin safely relieves 12 menopause symptoms by helping to restore your hormonal balance. Amberin is 100% drug-free and estrogen-free. Amberin is America's number one menopause relief supplement in dollar sales. I like the fact that Amberin is clinically tested, safe, and effective. Thanks to Amberin, my fear of hot flashes is gone. My sheets aren't soaked every night, and my energy is back. Give Amberin a try and see what it can do for you. It works. It really works. Hurry to your Walmart, Walgreens, Target, and other fine retailers nationwide and get Amberin today. As parents and grandparents,